Amen. Good morning, everybody. How you doing? Yeah, nice to see you. Thought summer was over, didn't you? Uh, it's not. Um, my name is Chris Neal. I'm the children's pastor. We're going to volunteers, do other things around here. It's a joy to be able to preach to you this morning and, and go into God's Word. We've got a little bit of a tough passage. It's, it's, it's like a Jenga tower that we're going to try to build, okay? So a uh, little bit of an argument that Paul's making in Romans 7 that he's kind of building, building, building. And so uh, it's, I'm going to need you just to, you know, follow me as we kind of build that together. It's nice to have Pastor Mike and Dana back, and uh, they'll be here next week taking on the rest of uh, chapter 7. But before we get into the actual, like, sermony part of it, uh, I wanted to explain something that... Um, that just kind of something within our, our ministry that, that's happening within the kids' ministry. There's a new policy. Uh, there's some different policies in California that are happening. And uh, we're working toward being compliant with the, the new laws regarding children and children's ministry, childcare, those kinds of things. And, and really, 99% of the things that they're requiring, we're already doing or, or even going above on those things. And so, but I just want to kind of explain because there's been some confusion about what was, what was happening. Really, the purpose, of course, is to keep kids safe, to create a safe environment, also to keep our volunteers safe uh, from any kind of false accusation and things like that. So what we're kind of implementing, and it's not happening just yet, uh, it's in the, in the works, but so it's not fully implemented yet, but we're, we're moving toward like a five-part process uh, if you want to help um, either it's childcare, helping in children's ministry, uh, CR, those kinds of things. It's an application, an online application. There's a policy statement that you have to sign. There's a live scan, just fingerprinting, that you got to go get. There's a little mandated reporter video, which is kind of the new part. And then there's this SOS class that we do just explaining how we do things here. So for years, we've kind of done most of that stuff and we tried to have a really high standard to protect our kids. And I know that you guys appreciate that with your kids and being able to drop your kids off for their safety. And, but it's going to be kind of this big emphasis that we're making this fall just to be even more sharp, you know, just to be even more uh, compliant with the things that are, that are happening. So with that, though, we need more volunteers uh, because as, we, as, as the compliance uh, happens, you know, and it gets a little stiffer on certain things, we just need more people. We need more adults uh, that can be in different classrooms for a lot of the different things. Most of our, most of our folks serve one or, once or twice, one Sunday a month. So if you'd like to do that, uh, if you've been waiting to be asked, I'm asking. So, <laughs> so uh, but that's great. If you just come talk to me, uh, email, info center app, whatever. But I just kind of wanted to explain that a little bit. It's not fully implemented yet. Uh, it's in, in the works, but there, if you, if you want to serve in those areas, there are some, some steps, some hoops you're going to have to jump through. And that's just part of living in California and just have being compliant and, and just being with those, with those policies that we have. Okay. All good on that? Okay, I just figured we might as well put it out there just because there's some confusion regarding what's, what's needed. And I uh, just think it's good to, um, to, to everybody on the same page. So, all right, let's, let's go ahead and pray. And then we'll go ahead and get into Romans 7. That's where we're going to be today. So if you want to turn your Bible on or flip over, that'd be great. Let's pray. Father God, we do love you. We praise you. We thank you, Lord, for a beautiful morning. Lord, I thank you for this church and for, uh, Lord, so many folks here wanting to hear the word and, and, and be able to sing to you, Lord, and be able to worship together, have fellowship. Uh, Lord, we're thankful. We're grateful, Lord. Um, Lord, we, we, we pray uh, for those brothers and sisters around the world who this morning, Lord, uh, might worship you, Lord, under the fear of, of of death or imprisonment, Lord, or, or beating or whatever, Lord. And we have the freedom here, Lord, to bring our Bible to church, to come in freely and to know that, um, that we're safe. And so we thank you, Lord, for that. Uh, Lord, we pray for the folks in Israel and, and everything that's happening there. We pray for peace, Lord. And we pray, um, that your spirit, Lord, would, would guide those that, that, um, 
that need to bring about peace in that area, Lord. So we're so thankful, Lord, for what you've given us in your word. Lord, help us to have minds to understand what you're trying to say to us this morning. Amen. Um, as you guys can imagine, there's a lot of strange laws around the world, right? There's, I've got a few that are listed here. Uh, did you know that in Singapore, you cannot sell chewing gum? The fine is $100,000. For selling chewing gum, there's a penalty of $1,000 for spitting or for, how about this, walking naked in your own house. You can't walk naked in your own house, apparently, in Singapore. Um, you can get whipped with a cane if you're a foreigner and you stay longer than, than 90 days. Or you try to sell fireworks, uh, which that, you know, a lot of people in Tracy, that would be a real bummer, huh? Uh, North Korea, which of course is the bastion of freedom. Uh, North Korea, is, uh, you can get executed by firing squad for making international calls. Uh, you can, there's a death for falling asleep during a meeting because it's seen as an insult to uh, Kim Jong-un and disloyalty to him. And there's only 28 approved, state-approved haircuts. And no, I'm serious. In North Korea, there's only 28 state-approved haircuts and you cannot have the same cut as Kim Jong-un. Which for me, I'd rather be bald, you know, uh, than have his haircut. But uh, and there's a little uh, local school in Poland there where it's illegal to wear a t-shirt with Winnie the Pooh. Because let's be honest, he's kind of creepy. He's not wearing pants. <laughs> they, they've actually termed him, quote, an inappropriate hermaphrodite in Poland. So that's fun. Uh, in Rome, you can be fined $625 for not daily walking your dog. Uh, it's illegal to run out of gas on the Autobahn because it's so dangerous for everybody. It's illegal to reincarnate without permission in China. I don't think we have to worry about that, right? For it's appointed unto man to die once and after that to face judgment. Ain't no reincarnation happening anyway, but don't let President Xi know that you did it without permission. Uh, and then in British Columbia, if you find and kill Bigfoot without a proper hunting license you could be fined $250,000. So strange laws, right? I mean, there's all kinds of crazy, goofy stuff that's going on. But, but now, are, is anybody here afraid of breaking any of those laws? No, okay? And here's the reason, because those districts, they, don't, they don't have authority over us, right? We're not in their jurisdiction. Those laws really only hold sway when you're under their jurisdiction. And I'm not united with those places, and therefore I don't have obligation to their rules. That makes sense, right? Okay, so the first block in our little tower that we're building is this. And this is on the app. If you have the app or you're making, taking notes or whatever. The, here's the first one. It'll sound a little weird, but it'll make sense. But when a union has died, it carries no obligation. When a union has died, it carries no obligation. So if I'm not living in that area, I'm not under the obligation to fulfill its laws, right? I don't have a union with that place. So chapter 7 here in Romans begins with a really strange kind of analogy. It's, it's really just an analogy. It's to illustrate the authority that Jewish law would have over believers in Christ. So we know the Jewish law, the Old Testament laws, 613 laws that the Jews had. And Paul is making the argument that those laws don't have authority over believers in Christ. And so, just a little caveat here. Please don't read this as a prescription, as Paul's using this, just as an illustration, about marital law. This is only an illustration. He's talking about divorce and remarriage and adultery and all those things. That's a whole other sermon for another time that he's going to preach. Okay, so I am preaching that one. And so just don't, don't take this as it's an illustration. We got that, right? Okay, he's just telling a story. It's an illustration. The point of the illustration, though, is that in Christ, we have died to the law, the, uh, the obligation, the jurisdiction of the law. We're free from those obligations. So let's look at Romans chapter 7, verse 1 through 3. It says, Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, 
There you go. He's talking to people who know the law. That the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another woman, she is not an adulteress. Okay, that's sticky, right? So Paul's really just saying in the same way that the death of a spouse frees you from the marital obligations of that bond and you would be free to marry again, so for us in the same way, when we die to the law of sin and death we, and marry Christ, that we are free from those obligations. We're free from the old abusive husband of the law And we're married now in union with Christ. We've talked about that, right? A lot in Romans, our union with Christ, his bride. And and so all of the emphasis on our union with Christ in chapter 6 is is carrying over now to chapter 7, building it up here. So you know this though, right, as a parent. You know that rules without relationships just don't work with your kids. I always joke that, you know, little boys growing up in the 70s and 80s, there were three people that my generation of little boys hated, Okay, they were lifeguards, park rangers, and yard duty teachers. Okay, you know why, right? Because there's like a little bit of authority and they're just gonna, they're gonna take it to the ultimate degree. They were the law and they were gonna let you know about it. So they just, you know, uh, wielded the, that authority like a club just to eliminate all fun. So like at the pool, you know, you know the, the lifeguards sitting up on their big chair, twirling their whistle around like this. And it's like, walk, walk. Right? All day long. You know, that's, and then, you know, at a campground, a park ranger, you know, hey, stop throwing rocks at the beehives. You know, it's like, come on, what are you supposed to do? You know, and then in the cafeteria, the lunch ladies, you know, hey, eat your lunch or start making, stop making fart noises. You know, it's like every little thing that the boys wanted to do for fun as a kid, right? All those things, they take the fun right out of it. You know what I'm talking about, right? Little bit of law, little bit of authority. Fun suckers. Just take it all right out of there. But there's no relationship. There's just rules. Little authority, lots of bravado. Little boy's nightmare. Who cares if it was for my own good? You know? But as long as you're united to the law, you're, you're under its obligation, its jurisdiction, its authority. And it would be the same as, it, as in marriage. That it, but if a husband dies, this is Paul saying, that a woman is free of the marriage law. So that's an easy point to make, right? In fact, they, they said that, you know, I was reading this week, that um, there were rabbis who even had a saying that says, quote, if a person is dead, he is free from the law and the fulfilling of its commandments, unquote. To which the assistant of the rabbi said, well, yeah, duh, sir. You know, but <laughs> thanks. For, thank you, Debbie. <laughs> I thought that was really funny. But anyway. So the first level of the little Jenga tower that we're building is this, uh, that when a union is dead, there's no obligation to its laws. You've died to the law. You're not under its obligations anymore. Number two, our union to the law of the flesh is dead because of our union with Christ. So that death to the law happens through our union with Christ. So now we have no obligation to the flesh. Same kind of idea, but we don't have obligation to the flesh. See, there was a lot of Jews uh, that saw the Torah and the law as a source of hope and identity and ethics and life and tradition as part of being uh, Jews, and they were happy to be under its jurisdiction. And Paul was making the case. He said, um, no, we've been made dead by the law, to, to the law, by our union with Christ. Now, again, you've, you've been hearing this a lot in the book of Romans, our union with Christ. In fact, all of chapters 5 through 8 show us that the, the law is not the source of Christian hope. 
that the way that a lot of these Jews in, in that area would have, have for years had thought about. He's saying the Messiah has come. And through Christ, we escape that trifecta of law and then sin and then death. Because that's how it goes. God gives the law, it leads to sin, it leads to death. But we die to the law. We're no longer in Adam. We have new life in union with Christ in the spirit. All the things that we've been talking about in Romans that would be really familiar. So in chapter 7, he goes on, verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to one another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Hold on to that phrase, bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in the members, in our members, to bear fruit for death. So you can see the contrast, fruit for, um, fruit for God, fruit for death. And so what he's saying here, and it's again, it's kind of a little bit of a strange kind of Bible language here. And so you got to kind of really think about what he's saying. But our union with Christ obligates us to him. It breaks us from the union with the law, which was obligated us to sin and death. And so he's kind of drawing this distinction. My uh, friend drove a, a hearse in college when he was making his way through college. So he would drive a hearse. So he'd take dead bodies from the morgue to the funeral home. You know, um, and he would tell me, told me that sometimes when he's in the hearse and stuff, he would hear bodies groan, you know, just like the air being, you know, whatever. I don't know what that's like, you know. And he said that one time he was in Livermore. He said one time he, he was driving in Livermore and he looks in the rearview mirror and he said, no joke, some, an arm went up like this and down. I guess it's some kind of nervous thing or whatever. The arm goes up and down. And I don't know about you, I lose my mind. I'm, gonna, I'm parking that hearse on the side of the road. I'm walking away. Nope. Like I've, I've seen too many scary movies as a teenager. There's no way I'm driving that hearse anymore. But why do we know that that's wrong? Because dead things don't move. They don't speak. They don't groan, right? They don't wave their arms. They don't respond. And if you've ever, you know, you've been many times maybe to a funeral and there's an open casket there or a wake or something like that and you see the dead body and, you know, that's different. You walk up and, you know, some, some people have done this where they maybe pull the hair back a little bit or hold, take the hand of the, of the dead body just as a way to say goodbye and stuff like that. But nobody expects that body to react. Because that, because you imagine, you know, hey, see you later. You know, there's none of that is happening. And here's why. And this is the feeling is because, because to be dead means to be unresponsive. To not flinch, move, react. Being dead to sin means being unresponsive to its temptations and its pull. So it's a continuation of the thought that we had in Romans 6, uh, 6 through 8. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And there's a lot of this kind of Roman stuff here in Galatians as well. Paul wrote, he said in 2.19, he said, For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. We have died to the law through Jesus dying on the cross so that we might belong to him. So just as you, may, you can only be married to one at a time, so you can only be alive to one at a time, either to God or the law. And if you're not, you're united with Christ, you're not under obligation, jurisdiction, or authority of the law. So if you're going to try to justify yourself by your good works, then you're dead to God. 
That's what he's been saying. If you, you've got to stop trying to justify yourself by your works and your good deeds. But if you accept God's gift of grace, you're dead to the law. So stop trying to be good enough for God through your works. The distinction is clear. Verse 4, he says that union with God bear, bears fruit for God. Union with the law bears fruit for death. Now that whole bearing fruit, I have a shirt. I should have wore it today. It's got a bear and he's holding up a pineapple. It's all like that and it says bear fruit. Um, I love it. It's a great shirt. Um, but there's, in Galatians, he talks about this idea of bearing fruit, right? Galatians chapter five. Now this is, might be a really familiar passage to you. I hope it is. He says, but I say, walk by the spirit. That's a great phrase. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Again, he's talking about the difference between the law and grace. He's the difference between flesh and spirit. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. And we're going to talk a lot about that next week in the next part of chapter seven. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Sound familiar? Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things of the like. Whew. I, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God because they've kept themselves under the law. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law because you're not under the law. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So let's look into that. So point number three here is our new union with Christ weds us, like marries us, to the way of the Spirit so that we can bear fruit. What are those fruit again? Has anybody got those memorized? We got a great song we teach the kids. You, you got it. Like, he said, the fruit of the Spirit is not a coconut. Fruit of the Spirit is not a coconut. If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. Got, can't be a fruit of the Spirit because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then it goes on, you know, fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Fruit of the Spirit's not a cherry. Fruit of the Spirit's not an orange. It's the, those wonderful things, right? Now, how much fruit are you going to get off a dead tree? Not a lot, <laughs> right? Not a lot. How much fruit are you going to get off a branch that's been separated from the trunk? Not a lot. Okay, Jesus is making these points. Does a good tree bear good fruit naturally or by trying really hard? We've made this point before too. If it's a good tree, is it going to bear fruit just naturally? Yes, you don't, I, we've made this point. You don't, you don't go out in the, I've got a wonderful peach tree in my backyard. I don't go out in the backyard at three in the morning, but like, what's that sound? And the peach tree's out there going mm, like that, pushing trees out, peaches out, okay? He's not doing that, okay? It doesn't have to try really hard, okay? <laughs> That's a great, kids love that illustration. It's fun. <laughs> you guys are just children. No, but Jesus says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If we remain in him, we bear much fruit. It's not by trying really hard, gritting our teeth. I'm just going to have to love this person. I'm going to make myself joyful. You know, I better, I gotta be patient. You know, like you just try really hard. No, when you're united with Christ, the fruit will grow naturally and the spirit makes you bear fruit for God. And if you want more of those qualities, it has to be the Holy Spirit producing them inside of you because you cannot do it on yourself, on your own. So on the flip side of that, or old life, if I'm united with the law, what does it say? I'm gonna bear fruit for, what did it say? Death. 
And just so you know, that fruit doesn't taste very good. So he he already said sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, that whole list of stinky, nasty, fly-infested, rotten fruit. That's what you get if you are trying to live by the law, if you're trying to live under your own power to do the right things. So when Paul here is using these, these words, he uses the word flesh here. Um, different translations have different, you know, some of you may, if you have NIV, it's sinful nature. Um, he also says, you know, sinful passions. This basically our mortal existence apart from God. If you're going to live as a human apart from God, you're going to be under the control of sin, under the control of your flesh, you know, your earth suit, that kind of stuff, and, and, and your sinful passions. And you're going to make decisions without regard to God or your spiritual life. And it's contrasted, as you see, with the life of the Spirit, which is your capacity to know God. Spirit is your capacity to know God. Flesh is your, 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 the life apart from God. And what are the results of the flesh? Sinful passions, sin, and death. So you're either bearing fruit for God or you're bearing fruit for death. I hope that's making sense. Verse 6 of chapter 7. But now, which is great. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So see, to be in the Spirit is to be controlled by the Spirit. As he said, walk in the Spirit. But to be, control, to, to be in the flesh is to be controlled by the flesh, by your sinful desires, your passions. And all of that is triggered by the law. Now, for Jews, this was very provocative. Remember, a Roman church had Jews and Gentiles, and so you had a, a group of people who were in the Jewish faith. And so at the beginning of this passage, remember Paul said, I'm writing to those of you who know the law. So I don't think it was necessarily only the Jews, of course, that he's writing to, but he was maybe focusing a little bit more. He's like, hey, okay, so you guys that had the Old Testament law, I'm kind of focusing on you a little bit. And it was very provocative because they thought that God's law was the instrument to, bring, to restrain sinful desires. You want to stop somebody from doing something? Make a rule. Put up a sign. We joke about that around here. You know, it's like, you know, close this door or put this away and we make a sign. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, the sign's going to do it. You know, gun-free zone. Oh, yeah, you know, that's going to work. You know, it's a gun-free zone, everybody. Don't bring your guns in. I'm sure criminals really care about the sign. Um, but no, it, we need, they think that we need these laws and things like that to stop sin in our hearts. But verse 5 says, no, those sinful passions, what did it say? It said they are aroused by the law. They are awakened by the law. The law actually makes sin worse, not better. The law allows sin to permeate the whole person and every pattern of behavior. Now, you know exactly how this works. Anyone here ever stopped sinning because you heard a rule? <laughs> yeah, tell your kids. Now listen, kids, I bought your Christmas presents and they're hiding in the closet. Don't go look. <laughs> right? Your teacher, you know, okay, the answers are in the back of the book. Don't use them for the test. Right? God, hey, here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat the fruit, Adam and Eve. You know what I'm saying? And if you've ever tried to lose weight on keto, it's like, okay, no carbs. <laughs> right? Pretty soon in a day or two and everything looks like a donut or an olive garden breadstick, you know? And it's like, you, it doesn't work. Rules and laws don't stop our sinful passions. Really what it does is it, it awakens them. And so 
<laughs> this, I, this was brought to bear. I, I came to Christ in college, at Cal State Hayward, and uh, through Campus Crusade for Christ. And so we had some great memories with some buddies there. And there's this great, we had this little track. They were, they were big on little tracks and little booklets and stuff that you'd walk around and pass out. And they have one that was called The Spirit-Filled Life. And they have this little graphic here. I'm going to show it up here. You can see it where they were talking about natural man, which is, you know, our, our, just our natural state uh, before Christ. And then you've got spiritual man, which is a, your life with Christ. And then you've got carnal man where you've got Christ in your life, but you're not being obedient. Okay, so the, the E is ego. I don't like that. It should be just yourself. So the natural man, you know, without Christ, the, the, the picture is Christ is with the cross is outside of your life. You're sitting on the throne and all your interests are just kind of disordered. Spiritual man is have Christ on the throne. You are subservient to Christ and all of your interests in your life are ordered coming away from the cross. And then the carnal man, though, is a, is a disobedient believer. You've got Christ in your life, but you're still sitting on the throne and everything's still kind of disordered. And it's a, it's a great little picture. You know, so that's the life of the spirit versus the life of the law. And so another thing that that little booklet talked about was spiritual breathing. And I love this concept because you, the idea is, you know what it is to breathe, right? Out with the bad, in with the good. And so we would talk about, you know, out with the bad. If you're spiritual breathing, it's out with the bad. It's confessing your sin, telling God you're sorry. You're confessing your sin. And then in with the good is asking him to be filled with the spirit. So it's great. So you can do that in a moment, right? It's just, Lord, forgive me. Forgive my sin. And then just fill me with your spirit. So that we would, we would talk about being spirit-filled. Are you spirit-filled? So I had these buddies, um, and we'd sit around. We were all kind of new to the face. We're just trying to figure it all out. We're sitting in the student union, you know, and we're, we're talking about things. And, and we had this joke because anytime a pretty girl walked by, um, this is pre-Christy, uh, anytime, anytime a pretty girl walked by, um, we would, we, we'd all see it. You know, college guys, you're going to see every pretty girl. And trust me, at Cal State Hayward, there weren't a lot of them. Uh, this didn't happen a lot. So um, just saying... Uh, and uh, <laughs> sorry if you went there. I didn't, I, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> Just saying for a 20-year-old, I'm like, what the heck? I thought college was supposed to be better than this. Um, but, you know, so we would sit there and a pretty girl would walk by and we would look at each other and go, are you spirit-filled? <laughs> you know, like, and, then, and then we would joke. We'd be like, I am now. You know, because that was the joke. So it's like, are you spirit-filled? You know, because it's like, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. You know, and I am now. And so it only took a second. And then really that's, that's what it is. But our union with Christ, right? It fills us with God's Holy Spirit. It empowers us to obey. And in, in the solution here is in verse six. And you see it where he says, but now you've been released from the law. You have died to it holding you captive. And you serve in the new way of the spirit. We're free from the law, and there, but we're not lawless. And that's what... Paul had been building that case. He said, just because you have grace doesn't mean you just run out and go sinning. So we were free from the law, but we're not lawless. So follow this thought. All that the gospel requires of us is repentance and faith. Because a lot of times people will say, well, what about obedience? Well, yeah, but the gospel produces obedience in us, in the way of the spirit. That's the bearing of fruit. And it only comes after we die to the law and we're united with Christ. After we've believed the gospel, then the obedience comes. But if the gospel required obedience for heaven, then that would mean that we could be obedient apart from Christ. Like that God would require something that we could never do. We're doomed. See, if obedience was required, then that would mean Jesus died for nothing. But no, the gospel produces obedience. It does not require it. And so if we mix that up, 
then we think all of a sudden obedience to the law comes first. And that's not good news at all. It's just a burden that leads to sin and to death. And that sounds a lot like bad news to me. So I'll say a little something else that you may disagree with momentarily, but I think you'll understand. See, you, you, don't, you don't know God by studying the Bible. Sorry about that. The Jews were sure that they knew God because they studied the law. And they knew it, and they, but they missed its purpose. So instead of saving them, it had the opposite effect. It aroused in them all the areas of disobedience. And, and they indulged in it all. No Bible study and knowing God's law gives you knowledge about God, but obedience and following those things give you knowledge of God. There's a difference. So what good is it to know Hebrew if you don't know him? What good is it to know Greek if you don't know God? There's plenty of people who know the rules of the Bible, but they don't know him through experience and obedience and unity with the Spirit. No, obedience is the fruit that's produced by being united with him, not the other way around. And if you're like me, then I thought for a really long time that, that the gospel was just so contrary to what my natural intuition would tell me, you know, because everything in my flesh wanted me to be able to earn it, to make myself good enough. And then you read the Old Testament, and there's all these laws. And you're like, okay, well, I guess that's what I'm going to be judged by, right? And that gets so confusing. And that's what makes grace such good news. It's what Dr. Orge said yesterday, though, or last week, I mean, is that, that, that grace, though, because it's so counterintuitive to what we might naturally think, it has to be preached to us. We're not going to come to that on our own, through our own intuition. We need to be told, and your friends need to be told, because we don't get that on our own. And so as we're talking about the law, then you could think, so why does God give us all these difficult rules then? Well, I'm glad you asked. So here's why, because in order to know what something is, uh, in order to know what to do with something, you have to know why it was created. Okay? You have to know why it was created. Now, the law was not created to give to, uh, or given to kill the sinful nature. It was just given to show you how sinful you are, that I am. Does that mean the law is evil and it's of the devil and it promotes sin and opposes God's goodness? No. And that's where we turn the last section here, uh, verse 7 through 12. Last point, number four, is the law was for the good purpose of revealing my sin and my need for union with Christ. So stay with me here. Let's read this. It's a little eh, sticky, but you'll get it. What shall we say then? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would, for I, I'm sorry, for I would not have known what it was to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. You know that feeling. Don't go look in the closet for the Christmas gifts. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So the law was holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So how does Paul, writing this letter to Rome, get a bunch of idolatrous, immoral, pork-eating, emperor-worshipping pagans to act like God's people? Well, the Jewish view would say, well, you need to step under the law then. You need to do everything that the law said. We're going to fix up that Roman Rudy and Roman Rita. We're going to fix them up right up and we'll just set them underneath the law. Of course, none of the Jews were following those rules either. <laughs> 
and doing what they said. No, the law couldn't kill paganism in Romans and it couldn't fully motivate the Jews. Why? Because that wasn't its purpose. You had to know why the law was created. So the first thing that I learned in church when I was a kid growing up was that in catechism class was the Ten Commandments. Right. Anybody with me? You learned Ten Commandments like as a kid? You got to learn them all right away? Yes. And if I quiz you, how many of you think you could get like seven of them? Maybe eight? Anybody think you can get all ten? Like you know you can get all ten like that? Yeah, it's tough, right? You go back. And, and so, but I was taught exactly what the Ten Commandments were, but I was never taught, and maybe some of you too, what they were supposed to do. Why did they, why were we given? I just thought these are God's rules you better do them because you don't want to make him mad. Right? That's the way we look at it. So here's an illustration. You got to know what, in order to know what something's supposed to do, you have to know why it was created. Anybody know what this is? It's a ball pump, right? It's a ball pump. Got the little needle, you stick it in the ball, you pump it up, right? Now, this is really good for pumping up balls. But, and so it squirts air out. But is this going to work very good as an air conditioner? You know, I mean, it gets me a little cooler, you know what I'm saying? But it has to, it's, it's got a very distinct purpose for it. Now, if I wanted to pump up a ball, can I just get up on a ladder and put it up to one of these vents and like stick it right up against the air vent? Is that going to work just to blow air inside? It's not going to work, right? It's got to be the little needle. You have to know exactly why something was made in order for it to work. Now, this is a good question. I'm going to see if anybody, any of you gearheads know what this is? What is it? A fan wrench. Thanks, Joe. I just told you in the lobby, and now he thinks he's a smart guy. He, I, I asked him in the lobby, and then he didn't know, and now he thinks he's a smart guy. Yeah. Yeah, that's great, Joe. <laughs> he's just showing off. See, see what the law does? It creates pride, and guys like Joe. Sheesh. <laughs> Ding dong. Anyway, so yes, this is, this is a fan clutch spanner wrench. I got this for 50 bucks when I had to change my water pump because you got to use one of these, got these little notches to get the, the belt off and move the, the clutch and the fan. But whatever, I'm not a mechanic. I don't know. I bought it once. I, I bought it for 50 bucks. I used it once and now it sits in my tool chest. Anybody ever needs one of these, come, come I'll let you borrow it. It's not a big deal. But now is this going to work very good as a salad fork? No, right? This is not going to work, you know, for getting the meat off the barbecue or anything like that. It doesn't work for those kinds of things. Now, we know what these are, scissors, right? Of course, we, we use scissors for a lot of different things. Great to cut, those kinds of things. But you don't want to cut a birthday cake with this. Now, I'm not going to shave my head with this. You know, that kind of thing. So you have, you have to, I'm not going to pound a nail. I'm not going to use it in the ignition of my car. You know, those, so it looks, maybe, maybe it would do that. No, you don't use it that way. So you have to know exactly why something was created in order, or why, you have to know why it was created in order to know what it's supposed to do. And see, months ago, we talked about this when we were talking about Romans 4. We said the law is a guardian. It's a tutor. Its purpose is to instruct us to teach me how sinful I am and that I really need a savior. Galatians 3 says, So then the law was a guardian and tutor until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, our savior, we are no longer under a guardian. So finishing up the section of Romans, Paul is making sure that we don't blame the law as if God gave it to us as this mean trick to ensnare us. No, this, he said the, saw, the, the sin was used by the law to bring death that the law is innocent. It simply provides the opportunity. In verse 12, he says, so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. It's like a car. A car's not responsible for the DUI. It just provides the opportunity for it. 
You see, the law is an X-ray, MRI, night vision, thermal imaging, James Webb telescope, super scanner, big brother watcher, secret camera revealer of our sin. And there's no escaping the law's gaze. It dissects us and it just lays us bare as sinners. Israel's law was never meant as an end to itself, but it was meant to point to a greater reality that there's a Messiah coming and Christ is the fulfillment of that law and he forgives us in all the ways that we have failed in that law and so we die to the law. It's the death we wanted to have the life that we needed, which is now union with Christ. To know what something's supposed to do, you have to know why it was created. The law was never intended to make you justified or acceptable to God. Billy Graham said, so the closer you get to Christ, the more sinful you're going to feel. Do you realize that? Everyone who has ever seen a true reflection of God is deeply convicted of his own sin. Peter said, Lord, depart from me from a sinful man. The fact that you are aware of your sin and feel guilty about it is a sign of spiritual life. I love that. You see, feeling guilty about your sin means that God's Holy Spirit is in you and it's working against the flesh. You feel this tug of war. You feel that daily? You feel that tug of war? That's your spirit against your flesh, battling it out for who is going to win. Because, of course, we're still in the flesh. But when, you were, when you're dead to your sin, your spirit um, wasn't bothered by your sin. When you were dead to Christ before Christ, you know, your spirit wasn't bothered by sin. You just went with it. But now the Holy Spirit enters and goes, no, 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 this is my territory now, right? And now there's this battle. So the, the idea is that the presence of the struggle is a good thing because it proves you have God's Holy Spirit living within you, fighting to die to sin and to be united with Christ, right? It's a great thing. So enjoy the struggle and battle it in the power of Christ. But, but don't let the struggle with, your struggle with sin defeat you and make you feel like you're no good because of it. See, when you sin, don't feel the weight of guilt. Don't let it incapacitate you. Just spiritually breathe. Out with the bad. Jesus, forgive my sin. And Lord, fill me with your spirit and with the good. And on a practical level, what does this mean for sharing the gospel? Well, you see, there's a lot of people out there that don't believe in God. And certainly not God's authority in their life, right? The Bible's authority, things like that. And so they make up their own sense of right and wrong, right? This is what we see all the time. You got, uh, you know, people that, well, I make up my own morality, situational ethics, things like that. And usually, isn't it funny how it favors their own preferences? <laughs> and it's funny because they're always good enough, aren't they? Because they made up the standard. So if you come across somebody who doesn't believe the Bible's authority uh, over their life or the law, that kind of thing, um, I, would, I would ask them, do this. And this is just a way to engage a conversation. I always ask the question, hey, um, well, what morality, if you don't accept God's morality, what morality do you ascribe to? You know, who makes, what are the laws, the, the standards that you believe in? And let them tell you, man, make them put all that stuff on the table. Make them tell you exactly what they believe. And then you ask them, you said, well, I have a good question for you. Um, do you always follow your morality? Come on now. If they're on, look, you know, I think it's wrong to lie. Mm, okay. Do you always tell the truth? Never lie? You see, if they're honest, they'd have to say no. And, and so you point out, oh, I see. So you do believe in sin. Right? Because you sinned against your own made-up morality. You don't even have the capacity to follow the rules that you decide for yourself are Right? Let alone God's. It's not just that you obey, oh, disobey God's law. You disobey your own dang law. How dumb is that? 
And so you ask them, okay, so, so if you disobey your own rules and, and you're, you're a sinner, who's going to save you from your own standard of morality, your own made-up rules? Boom. Open door for Jesus as Savior. Say, no, God's got laws, and we've broken all those too, and he provides a Savior. You see, C.S. Lewis said, if you go against the grain of creation, you're going to get splinters. And it's, is our culture not feeling the splinters of disobedience? And as much as we fight against creation order, we cannot escape it. So the law, yes, it reveals sin. And even our own laws that we make up for ourselves reveal our sin and our need for a savior. And that's where uh, Paul goes in the rest of chapter seven next week. Let me just finish with this little story. Um, there's an old story of a, of a woman who was, uh, had a very controlling and manipulative husband. And every day before he went to work, he would make a detailed list of all her chores for the day. Wash the clothes, pick up the kids, walk the dog, iron you know, di- dishes, fix dinner, da-da-da-da, go shopping. I mean, all these things, a big long list of all the things. And if she didn't do everything every day to his satisfaction, she, he'd come home and call her lazy and useless and stuff like that, verbally abuse her, uh, forbid her from leaving the house, withhold money from her, not let her go see her friends, stuff like that. So every day she worked tirelessly and to and fearfully to please him and hoping that everything was done to his satisfaction and it rarely was and she'd get scolded for the failure. Well, after years of this, he died unexpectedly at work. And so she's free from that. So she remarried a really loving and caring man who had a great job in the city. And she, would be, she stayed at home and, and would build the business, help build the business from the house. And, but he never wrote a list. He never complained. They worked out their differences with give and take. And they had a great marriage. And years later, she found one of those old lists from her previous ex-husband with all these dozens of chores. And she cried, realizing she was still doing all those chores and all the same things, all the same routines. She still worked just as hard to keep a nice home. Many of the same things. But she was no longer motivated by fear and abuse but she was motivated by love and devotion to this husband to be able to create a a wonderful life together. So she wanted to make her husband happy and have that. It wasn't just to avoid punishment. It's because she found joy in doing those very same things. You see, the love of her new husband produced in her good deeds rather than the old husband requiring it. You are free from that old, nasty, abusive, dirty husband of the law. He's dead. Okay? And you are united with Christ and he will produce in you good fruit. So for me as a kid, I always thought I had to do the Ten Commandments to be a good boy. And I didn't know what I was supposed to do as a creation of God because I didn't understand why I was made. So we as humans, creations of God, why are we made? We are made to be in union with Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of the Father. That's it. Not to follow the law, not to build up some little spiritual resume that you're going to hand to St. Peter when you enter the pearly gates. That's dumb. Not to be good and so good that I was going to see your goodness and want to be a Christian just because you're such a nice guy, nice gal. It's not to limit your sin to a bare minimum so God's only kind of mad at you. But at least you're better than others, so you're kind of accepted. No, it's to be in union with Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit to the glory of the Father. That's good news, friends, right? All right, let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you, Lord, for your goodness and grace to us. Lord, um, forgive us for the times that we misrepresent you, 
And we, we go back to that old abusive husband of the law. Lord, we um, are so thrilled that we have grace. Help us to live in it. Lord, help us to walk in the Spirit. Um, you've given us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us, encourage us, to guide us, to lead us into all righteousness. So Father, we, we praise you. And Lord, if there's anybody here today that has maybe never made that decision to follow you with all their heart, God, I pray that they would do it today. Lord, don't wait to just ditch the, the old get being accepted by the law, Lord, and, and receive that gift of grace that you offer. I pray that they would pray and just ask you to be their Savior this morning and they would come to you with a full heart. It's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen.